reading Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. I'll just start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you have made yourself known. We thank you that you are holy and good and merciful and just and gracious. Uh, we thank you in your kindness and love for us that you sent your son uh, for our sins. Lord, we have, uh, I have impure lips and uh, we are full of sin and yet uh, you love us nonetheless. We pray that as we read these difficult passages, we may know you better and seek to bring you glory. Amen. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32 and can be found in the Pew Bible if you have it on page 911 in the New Testament. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since that since what we sorry, I'll start again. <laughs> The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in, to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, 
they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The second reading is 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, and can be found in page 938. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, have uh, Romans chapter 1 open, that'd be great. We're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans, being right when you're in the wrong, and uh, we're going to get to that passage in in chapter 3 as uh, Paul explains it. But let's ask for God's help, let's pray that he would open our hearts to the truth. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that you speak and you haven't left us in the dark. And so we pray now that we would listen to your word, but more than that, that we wouldn't stand over the top of it in judgment, but we would come under it and submit to it freely and joyfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned about the time I got bogged in Denmark. And a person bigger, stronger and better than me at basketball pulled me out. Does anyone remember that story? Remember who pulled me out? Luke Longley, yeah. Three-time NBA championship Luke Longley, who played with Michael Jordan, greatest player of all time. He lives in Denmark and happened to be at the beach when we got bogged. Now, there are some details of the story I left out. And uh, it is true, I got bogged at Denmark. I'd seen that the sand was kind of soft and I thought, we better turn around. And then I turned around and went into even softer sand. It was true that my wife wasn't particularly happy with me. Uh, It wasn't true that she was pregnant, she corrected it, uh, that she'd actually just got out of hospital, which, speaking now, sounds a little bit worse. for quite a serious spinal fluid leak, she's okay now. But uh, she was justified in being a bit grumpy with me. But there's more. I actually didn't go and ask Luke to help me straight away. I tried to get out myself, as you do. Uh, first off, I did the back and forth. Any four-wheel drive guys know the back and forth is go forward, go backwards, go forwards, go backwards. And I went further down. 
So then I tried digging it out with my hands. That didn't work either. But then I thought maybe I'll just give it another go at back and forth. So I gave it another go with the back and forth and all of a sudden when you didn't think you could get any further bogged, I was way further bogged. What did I need to do? What was the one thing that I actually needed to do? I needed to admit that I had a problem. Actually, I needed to listen to my wife, who was telling me, go get help, you've got a problem you can't fix. I needed to admit I had a problem that I couldn't fix and I needed someone outside of myself to fix it. And that is what God is doing for us in the book of Romans this morning. By the way, here's a picture of Luke. Uh, the guy at the front is not Luke. Luke is walking back to his four-wheel drive and I'm going, woohoo, it's Luke Longley! But that's my four-wheel drive, very, very bogged. Uh, pretty bogged? Anyone been more bogged than that? No, don't think so. The one thing I needed to do was admit that I had a problem. I needed a solution outside of myself. And this is what Paul's doing in Romans chapter 1 and 2 and a bit of 3. Remember, he's already said the gospel is the power for salvation of everyone who believes. Now that he's put the grand uh, theme out of the book, he now goes about showing us why. Why do we need to be saved? And more specifically, what do we need to be saved from? We must expose the problem and admit we have one before we can see the amazing solution and grab hold of it. So two things uh, this morning for us. The problem with all of us and a result of that problem. And then we'll get to the grand solution. The, the problem, as you already probably saw, is all humankind is without excuse right now. Against the charge that we have enough information, enough knowledge of God to respond to him rightly, we stand without defence. That's what it means. Without any ability to defend ourselves. Have a look there at verses 19 and 20 again. It says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made. So, therefore, humans not just these guys, humans are without excuse. God has made this entire world. He's left it with his fingerprints in it. A bit like a, a painter who has painted a, a magnificent picture, leaves his mark in it. God has made his character clear. What has been known about God is plain to us because God has made it plain to us. Have a look at a sunset. Have a look at a newborn baby. Just have a look at a tree. Even better, take a deep dive and have a deep look at the human body and how it works. God has shown himself in what he has made. But that's not where it ends. These characteristics have been clearly understood and seen. These people have perceived that God is real from his creation. And not only that, They've seen and understood in verse 20, they actually knew God. Verse 21, they knew him as creator. 
How did these people respond to that knowledge? Verse 21. Though they knew him, they did not acknowledge him, they did not honour him as God or give him thanks. Told you a while ago, a few few weeks ago, of uh, a time when friends of ours had a a baby and uh, we went and visited. And uh, remember what happened? We went and visited these friends and they were just so thankful. They kept saying, oh, we're so thankful, we're so thankful. But they weren't thanking the God who had given them the baby. These people have turned away from their creator, haven't given him the credit, haven't given him the glory, the honour, the praise. The one who has given them everything they have, the air they breathe, everything in their bank account, everything they enjoy, they have chosen to reject him. And therefore they are, verse 20, without excuse. They have no defence against the charge that God has given them enough to know and respond to him rightly. That's what it's saying. I went to Churchlands High School and on the first day of high school they brought us all in to the assembly and told us the rules. Here's the rules. And one of the rules was, if you leave the school grounds, you will be punished. If you keep skipping school, it's not allowed. The teachers can't look after you. It was for our benefit that we weren't allowed to leave the school grounds. Now, one of my friends decided school wasn't so good and just kept skipping school again and again and again. What happened to him? Well, he's called up to the principal and asked to explain himself. What defence did he have? What was his excuse? He'd been told he was at the assembly. He knew what was required, yet he ignored it. He had no excuse. He had responded by following his own ways, doing his own thing, instead of the ways of the school. We have no excuse before our Creator. He's given us knowledge of Him. We live in His world. We're all part of this. And we haven't responded to Him rightly. Instead, what do humans do? Did you see there's a terrible exchange that happens again and again? Did you see it? Verse 23, what has happened? What's been exchanged? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It happens again in verse 25. Did you see it? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things instead of their creator. There's a great exchange going on. The swapsies. The glory of God for images. The truth about God for a lie. The creator for the created things. You see what we've done? Because guess what? This is you and me. We have worshipped and served created things. Instead of praising our creator and thanking our creator, we look at the stuff he's made. Our default is to live for created things. We've put stuff in our lives where God should be. And that's the Perth problem. That's the Perth gospel. Remember the Perth gospel? When we walk out, when we live in Perth, there's a gospel. Gospel just means great news that changes you, right? The Perth gospel says, live for the here and now. Devote yourself to the things of this world. Pursue money. Pursue assets. Pursue comfort. Pursue security here. What is it saying? It's saying, 
worship and serve created things. Isn't that right? That's what, that's what we hear every day. I hear that every day. The Perth Gospel says the power for salvation is in the things of this world. So pursue them, trust them, spend your life for them. And that's us. All humankind is without excuse right now before their creator. And there's one big implication for this, isn't there? No one can actually say, I didn't know, before their God. They can't rock up to God and say, hang on, you didn't tell me. I wasn't told. Like a guilty schoolboy, he's been asked to give a reason for going against his teachers. We are found guilty without excuse. And it gets worse. Rebellious humankind is being judged now. What does God do with people who have worshipped and served created things instead of him, the creator? He lets them do it. That's his judgment. He lets you do it. Now, usually we think of God's judgment as that kind of end times thing, and that's right, isn't it? We'll get to that in chapter 2 and 3. Mike's going to preach for us next week on chapter 2. I'm away preaching at a commissioning service for a pastor friend of mine, so I won't be here Sunday morning. But Mike will take us through chapter 2, which will be excellent. But now, God is telling us a bit about judgment right now. God's righteous judgment on human rebellion has started. Did you see it in verse 18? Something we don't want to talk about is in verse 18. Did you see it? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness, wickedness of humans who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Did you notice there's a present tense? It means it's happening right now and an ongoing effect. God's righteous judgment is happening now. We already know why God is angry, rightly angry. It's because humans have rebelled against him and devoted themselves to created things instead of their creator. That makes sense, doesn't it? If there's a God who made absolutely everything and we say, stuff you, I'm going to live for the stuff you made, he's going to be rightly angry at that. The question then is, how is God judging right now? And Paul says it over and over again. He gives us what we want. Did you see it? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to shameful lust. Verse 28, therefore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. Literally gave them up. Gave them it. Here you go. You want that? Go for it. I remember a story of a guy uh, in my, at my school who was caught by his dad smoking cigarettes. Uh, at the, in their backyard. What was dad's punishment? He bought the, him a carton of cigarettes and said, go knock yourself out. Do not come back here until you've finished all of these. God gives us up. Gives us over. He says, you want that? Go for it. That is my righteous judgment. So let's go back to my school friend. He had chosen to do his own thing, following the ways of the school. What was the judgment for his skipping school? He was suspended. He wanted to stay, he got away from school? 
You are not allowed to come to school. That is the judgment. That's what God does with us. This is the world we live in. People being judged by God right now. Going about daily life completely ignorant, turning away from the God who made them, not realising that the freedom they think they have is actually God's judgment on them. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over, gave them up. So what do we do about it? All humankind is without excuse. This is a depressing sermon. Romans gets uh, more upbeat, as you probably know. But we need to expose the problem before we can see how magnificent the solution is. We only mind the depths of how bogged we actually are and then Luke Longley can come and pull us out. What do we do? We can't do anything. I can't solve my problem. I can't... I tried the back and forth. I tried the digging out with the hands and then I thought maybe the back and forth will work again. I need someone else to solve my problem. You might be living like that, trying to get a better life, a better job, a better relationship, a better purchase, a better mindset. That'll work for me. That'll be my saviour. And they don't work, and then you think, oh, I might just give it another try. Perth says, I am not ashamed of the Perth gospel because it is the power of myself and my stuff for the salvation of everyone who tries hard enough. God says the exact opposite. The power for salvation for all who believe. All who trust. God shouts this gospel at us. Why is this so wrenching to us? Why do we feel like, well, do we have to talk about sin and judgment and God's anger? Oh, I don't want to know. Why is it so gut-wrenching? Because this is us. Talk about us. And God shouts the gospel he says, watch out, you are without excuse because you knew me, but you still turned away from me. You sin. Your sin will kill you and if you want to keep going in it, I'll let you. That's my righteous judgment on you. And guess what? It's a slippery slope to destruction. And many... Many are on it. But I have done something about it. It comes from completely outside of you. Jesus Christ comes and does what we can't. We need someone who hasn't worshipped and served created things. We need someone who doesn't exchange the truth of God for a lie. We need someone who always lived a perfect life, never disobeyed God, never exchanged the glory for stuff and images. And we need someone who has an excuse before God, has a defense, and we need to stand behind him.
we need to be covered by him. And that person, as most of us know, is Jesus Christ. The big question of Romans is, which is going to ex- uh, expound more and more, is how does God make you completely and utterly right when you're completely and utterly wrong and still remain right? It's quite an amazing thing, isn't it? How does God justify us sinners who have no defense and stay just? Well, the sneak peek is 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you don't read that and think that is ridiculous, you're not getting it. That is outstanding. That is mind-blowing. I can stand before the righteous God knowing that I have no excuse. I'm completely and utterly stuffed. And at the very same time, I'm completely and utterly righteous. There's a great exchange. Jesus, we make a really bad exchange. The truth for a lie. The creator for creative thing. Jesus makes a magnificent exchange. He takes your sin, you get his righteousness. And what holds us back is from living the Christian life is not understanding that. Jesus never sinned, never disobeyed God. He is the only one without sin with an excuse. And he became sin for you and you and you and you and me. He drank it completely so that in Jesus, you and I are righteous, declared right. The ones who have worshipped and served created things stand before their creator completely righteous and that as you know, is grace. And if that is true, then we leave here changed people, not complacent people, not go about it and just do whatever people, radically changed people. Because the question as we finish up is, where do you fit in all this? Is this true of you? Can you see that you are without excuse because of your sin? And have you put your trust in Jesus? as the solution or are you still living a lifestyle of exchange the truth of god for a lie or it is possible to say you trust jesus but live as if you love created things it's possible it's not recommended and it will end badly Because God's judgment on you, if you're going to do that, is to let you do it. We stand righteous because of Him who died and was risen. So, If you wonder why you wake up complacent about God, 
Where's my passion gone for Jesus? It might be because our default when we wake up is to live for created things and not our creator. Is to forget that we're completely righteous through Jesus Christ. Those who have forgiven much love much. But if you forget and think, eh, I'm all right, then you will live a useless Christian life. We must stop living for created things. Stop listening to the Perth Gospel and listen to Jesus. All humankind is without excuse now and if we keep going like that, God will let us, that's his righteous judgment upon you and I, but God made him who has no sin to become sin for you. So that in him, you might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for heavy words this morning of your righteous judgment on our sin. We thank you for the truth that you've revealed to us, that we are all in the same boat without excuse before you because of our sin. And Father, we realise that your judgment on us is to let us do it. So Father, may we repent and trust in your Son today. May we not live here complacent people, but may we live for the praise of your glory. We thank you that him who had no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might be righteous in your sight. Help us to live that out to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.